The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain and living in Canada. Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite, with an exclamation point. Now, today's episode is Cards to Burst Barriers in Parkinson's Disease. So what is Parkinson's or Parkinson disease? Well, it's a disease of the nervous system which currently has no cure. It progresses. It affects men and women mostly as they get on in years, but it's getting more common in younger people too. Now, the first description of it, which was made in 1817 by Dr. James Parkinson, an English physician, still applies today. He called it the shaking paralysis. It makes people slow. It affects their walking, standing, balance, and speech. It makes them permanently stooped. It's relieved by medication, but medication doesn't arrest its progress. A medication may have side effects such as dizziness, forgetfulness, confusion, drowsiness, and even depression. So it's very easy to see why Parkinson's disease causes, in place, causes problems in places with barriers like airports. Now, to talk about bursting barriers for people with Parkinson's disease, we have two guests, Joel Gerstel and Barbara Snellgrove. And I'm going to introduce them by first sharing with you their bios. Now, Joel Gerstel is the executive director of the American Parkinson Disease Association. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, he received his BA degree from New York University. In 1997, he was named the association's executive director. Previously, he was director of operations, and prior to that, he'd served as a member of the association's board of directors. His previous experience included nine years as development director for the Pride of Judea Mental Health Center, Douglaston, New York. Now, under his leadership, the association doubled its operational budget, expanded its national network to become the largest grassroots organization serving Americans with Parkinson's disease, and he moved from moved the um, association from rented quarters into its first national headquarters building. And then in 2003, he was appointed to represent the Parkinson disease community on the Transportation Security Administration's Disability Coalition, a division of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Barbara Snellgrove is the Director of Education and Support Services with the Parkinson Society of Canada. She works collaboratively with her education colleagues across Canada 
to develop resources and programs for people living with Parkinson's disease and also their families. Our current projects include new resources for other Parkinson conditions, developing position statements on various topics such as pesticides, stem cells, and access to medications, creating a Canadian template for the successful UK Get It On Time program, and managing Canada's National Information and Referral Center. She sits on Canada's National Advocacy Committee and represents the society on various working groups, such as um, the Canadian Coalition for Genetic Fairness and the Canadian Institute for Health Research's Genetics Working, Pro working Group. She's a frequent speaker at conferences about caregiver support and dementia. She's extensively researched clinical topics and written about these in publications intended for public information. So, welcome to the show, Joel and Barbara. Thank you. Thank you. Joel, first, well, first question to you. What's the mission of the American Parkinson's Disease Association, and what's its history? Well, APDA was founded 50 years ago with the mission to ease the burden, find the cure for Parkinson's disease. In the half century, we have created the largest grassroots organization serving America's million and a half people with PD and their families through a network of chapters, information and referral centers, and support groups. We've raised more than $30 million for research at all levels from supporting the work being done at nine centers for advanced research to summer internships to introduce and encourage medical students to pursue research as a career. We are especially proud to have been a funding partner in most of the PD scientific breakthroughs. Barbara, same question for you. Mission of Parkinson's Society of Canada and its history. Sure. Um, the Parkinson's Society Canada is the voice of Canadians living with Parkinson's. Um, our purpose is to ease the burden and find a cure, and we do that through advocacy, education, research, and support services. Uh, this year, 2010, marks our 45th year of supporting Canadians. So, Joel, we're very similar to uh, how long we've been around with your organization. Uh, we are the national office, and we have 11 regional partners with over 235 support groups across Canada. We have a national research program that uh, basically funds um, medical research, uh, approximately over a million a year, and we also have a psychosocial uh, stream of our national research program. Right. Now, I want to ask you both, again, the same question. I want to know you to tell us, please, about the advocacy role of your respective organizations. Mm -hmm. what, what, first of all, what do you mean by advocacy and how do you do it? Jill? Well, well, easing the burden includes working on behalf of people with PD. Among our proudest accomplishments are the role we played in establishing the Morris K. Udall Centers of Excellence program that supports basic translational and clinical research on Parkinson's disease. And almost a decade ago, successfully leading the fight to secure physical therapy coverage for people with PD on Medicare. At the time, the benefits of exercise and physical therapy were under-recognized, but today exercise has been proven to be a valuable tool in maintaining a healthy lifestyle for people with the disease. Right. 
Barbara, same question. Advocacy in Canada by your society. Sure. Uh, Parkinson's Society Canada provides advocacy on a number of levels. Uh, for example, we have government relations, both federally and provincially, that impacts policies that uh, affect Canadians living with Parkinson's in terms of health and social policy. An example of that, for example, is a coalition that we are part of in neurological health. And what we're trying to do in Canada on a federal uh, level is to put forward a um, brain strategy where the neurological diseases are seen as uh, the chronic uh, diseases. Uh, we also deal with systemic advocacy where we advocate for changes to legislation or other symptom systems rather that improves the lives of people with Parkinson. An example of that and um, is here in Canada, we do not have genetic legislation that protects protects the genetic information of, of people living with Parkinson's. And so, again, we are part of a coalition that is advocating to uh, uh, change that legislation so that we have protections. And the last bit of uh, advocacy that we do is what I call personal advocacy on behalf of uh, individuals, their one-on-one issues, whatever they might be dealing with, whether it's access to, to medications, care in long-term care homes, that kind of thing. You're both both organizations are national in scope. Joel, how do you relate to um, what we might call the states and their provision of health care in the U.S.? The states? Yes. I mean, in the sense that uh, in the regions of the U.S., do you have branches that operate and work with the local people who are providing health care, things like that? Yeah, we have uh, 55 chapters throughout the United States almost one in every state. And in addition to that, we also have 58 information and referral centers located in hospitals or universities throughout the country where people can have access to their support. Yeah. Barbara, same question for you. How, how, how are things organized in the various jurisdictions in Canada by you? Uh, well, in terms of health care, as you may know, we have 10 uh, different provinces. The funding, of course, uh, is done through each of those. There could be a, a variety, certainly, from one province to, to the other. On issues that impact people with Parkinson's, just as an example, what we do from a national perspective, uh, we may develop, let's say, national position statements, for example. We would support... Um, that any uh, drug or treatment uh, available for people living with Parkinson's by Health Canada should be accessible then to any individual in each of the provinces. And so when once we have a national statement, then it enables our regional partners to really use that messaging if they are advocating on behalf of people with Parkinson's within their particular province or region for accessibility to treatment. So there's an example of how that works. We also have the National Info and Referral Line, as we mentioned earlier, and we make referrals uh, specifically to our regions for support groups, uh, more resources, education, and uh, basically the service delivery is delivered through our regional partners. You know, one of the um, problems that Parkinson patients have is the what I would call the exorbitant cost of Parkinson medicine, medication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only is the cost extremely high, but the amount of pills they take every day uh, drives everything up to a point where 
in many cases, they can't afford to take the medicine. Mm-hmm. You, know you, that? you may be different in Canada. <laughs> We're going to run out of time in a moment, but Barbara, please have a quick answer to that. Is it, are things different in Canada? Well, we have a different health care system, certainly, Joel. Uh, you know, it's universal, and I mean, most of the uh, drugs are on provincial formularies, not mm-hmm. always, but there is a process that uh, some are not. Many new drugs that come on, for example, are not picked up for the formulary, and it's because of cost-effectiveness uh, for, for uh, you know, from the provinces, which is, you know, I think that could be another discussion for sure in terms of the... <laughs> you know, efficiencies from a government perspective, they won't pay the dollars in order for people with Parkinson's to have a choice in a variety of medications in, in order to treat their, their disease. Because as we all know, it's individual. Right. And, and oftentimes clinicians don't have, um, I mean, they have approval for, for drugs in terms of variety, but for whatever reason they don't get um, available on, uh, on, on provincial formularies. Now, I'm going to have to break in there because it's time, talking of money, it's time yes. for us to pay the rent yes. for the short break. Another discussion. Yes, indeed. But it is time to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Joel Gerstle and Barbara Snellgrove. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Bounty hunting and private investigation are two industries that have only recently become popular in the media, but these industries have been around much longer. Join Mel Barth, a bounty hunter since 1986 and a PI since 1988. Mel now brings his expertise to the Voice America Variety Channel for It's Not a Game. You and the law. Mel and his guests will bring you an edgy and unique program about legal issues, private investigation, and bail and bounty hunting. Tune in Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Variety. Don't miss it. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for total career success on the Voice America Variety Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Joel Gerstel and Barbara Snellgrove. Our topic is Cards to Burst Barriers in Parkinson's Disease. So let's talk about barrier-bursting cards. Joel, 
First of all, what are the types of challenges that people with Parkinson's disease experience when they travel in the U.S.? That's easy. Security at points of travel in the U.S. has by necessity become very stringent. Any out-of-the-ordinary behavior is suspect. And I might add that I think our government works very hard to respect the rights of individuals while maintaining a safe environment. And since 9-11, airport security is particularly rigorous. Common PD symptoms such as tremors, slurred speech, freezing movement, slowness can be interpreted as suspicious or misinterpreted as effects of substance abuse. The amount of medication being carried also can be a red flag. I have personally reported that chairs were not available for people who needed to sit down to put on their shoes at the airport after screening. Right. Barbara, same question for you. What's the experience in Canada with travel challenges for people with, with Parkinson's disease? Well, I think it's it's similar, certainly, to what Joel has mentioned. I know we, a number of years ago, there was a situation where a, a person with Parkinson from the U.K. Uh, was traveling to Canada, and uh, the person did uh, demonstrate the same symptoms that Joel was uh, talking about. The symptoms of PD were misinterpreted by the customs staff, and, uh, you know, they thought he was being uncooperative, you know, for example, the shaking, you know, is often misinterpreted as uh, the person is nervous, you know, has something to hide. Certainly the person's um, changes in voice um, as well and, and the inability to show emotions, you know, that kind of thing. And fortunately it didn't escalate to, uh, to an assault or anything, but it did make the local media and we had an opportunity to really educate uh, people on the issues of uh, of uh, travelers with Parkinson, but for that individual who was traveling alone, it was a pretty devastating experience. Right. That goes to the next question for Joel. What led your association to take up the idea of a notification card for travelers with Parkinson's disease? Our late director of scientific and medical affairs, Dr. Paul Mastrone was always concerned about persons with Parkinson's being mistakenly identified as under substance influence. Many years ago, he created a card for hospital emergency department identification, which evolved into a traveler's ID, as well as with the sentences, I have Parkinson's disease, please allow me time for communication in six different languages. With security procedures becoming more stringent, more unfortunate stories came to our attention, and the need for such identification card became more apparently necessary to us. Right. Um, I'm going to take this up with you now, Barbara, but first let me ask you, does um, your society offer anything similar? And in any case, what is your view of the idea of a notification card for travelers with Parkinson's disease? Mm-hmm. Well, the Parkinson Society Canada has been distributing a medication card. We developed one over five years ago, I guess, now, and uh, we encourage anybody to carry that in their wallet. Mainly, it was to alert uh, healthcare professionals to the importance of the person taking their medications, because on the back they can list mm-hmm. all the medications they're on. But the card also states, similar to what Joel was saying, it also states that the person has Parkinson's, and it lists some of the symptoms.
Parkinson's. So it says, I have Parkinson's. My movements and my ability to move may change. My speech may seem slurred or very soft, and I may have difficulty showing emotion. So it is um, something that someone can show uh, to anyone, really, that they come in contact with, whether they're traveling or not. And uh, the beauty of the card is that it comes in two parts, so that the care partner can also carry a copy as well in their wallet. Right. Joe, um, you were talking about advocacy, um, your advocacy. So what I'd like you to tell us about, please, are the key points that you made to the U.S. Transportation Security Authority. Um, What were the things you said? How did the authority respond to these points? And which were the ones that you think led to its accepting the need for a notification card of the kind we've been talking about? Uh I've been fortunate to have been asked to participate in the TSA's Disability Coalition when it was created in 2004 and have found it a very positive way to protect the dignity and the safety of persons with Parkinson's as well as the other 69 areas of disabilities and medical conditions represented in the coalition. Mm -hmm. The TSA has previously established guidelines to accommodate more physically obvious situations and the notification card was a logical addition. The creation of the coalition is evidence of the TSA sensitivity to those who need special consideration, and it was most receptive to the idea of alerting its security officers, saving both screener and traveler with limitations or special needs possible embarrassment. Right. Barbara, what's your society's view of the kind of card and the kind of arguments that Joel's been using, Mm -hmm. that is, your position on a notification card for travelers with Parkinson's disease, and do you have any plans to make uh, any kind of representation to Canada's authority? And if so, what are the points that you're going to make? Mm-hmm. Well, the card from, from Joel, my colleague, certainly has sparked an interest and uh, in determining the need you know, for a card uh, in terms of screening uh, when they travel, for sure. I think it's a great idea. Uh, in preparation for this interview, I did contact the Canadian Air Transport Agency um, because they have a, a guideline uh, that states that for special needs, people can ask that screening be done away from public view, for example. So my question to the Canadian agency was whether or not our existing med card would be, you know, sufficient documentation. Um, hopefully they will say yes. They haven't gotten back to me. But certainly in terms of collaborating with, uh, with Joel, you know, uh, combining it into our med card or whatever would certainly make a lot of sense. Um, I don't know from a sort of um, procedural basis whether or not uh, if people ask that screening be done away. I don't know how many people know that they can ask that, so I think there's an education component involved in this. And also what is involved uh, when they ask for it. So um, there's been some situations, for example, where... uh, Joel was mentioning not even providing a chair for someone to sit down or, you know, a person couldn't even keep their canes for balance, you know, while they're being screened, for example. Uh, They seem to be pretty obvious to me that we should be accommodating that. Um, And I don't know, you know, if a card is necessarily going to, you know, help. But but certainly I think in terms of... um, Involving uh, screening staff to be more sensitive to persons' needs is, is huge when people travel, for sure. 
Right. I think, I think Barbara hit it right on the head. Uh, sensitivity training is really what's needed. Yeah. Now, I do I do want to interject. It was interesting, you know, when I was doing prep for this uh, interview, as I mentioned, I was on the uh, Canada Border Services Agency's website, and apparently they have a new pilot program, and I don't know if many of your listeners know about this, Canadian listeners, that is, and it's called Nexus, N-E-X-U-S. And it's a new pilot project that they are trying to expedite border crossing for pre-approved immigration and citizenship, for example. But it seems to give priority passing for people, you know, when they're screening. Now, there is a fee, okay, of $50. (laughs) But I thought that was a very interesting thing to learn about because maybe that is another way of fast-tracking folks with a disability or with Parkinson's or whatever to also be part of, you know, this pre-screening from an immigration and citizenship perspective. Joel, have you any comments on that? No, I I just had some off the cuff comments. Yes. Uh I just came back from a trip to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh to a conference that was held over there and uh, I because of a knee injury I've been using a, a wheelchair to get through all these difficult situations. And there was one case in Canada where I had a not Canada in uh, Scotland where I had to go through and the fellow said to me, "Would you please stand up?" and take your belt off, because we have to check. And I said, if I could stand up and take my belt off, I wouldn't be riding <laughs> in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We shouldn't laugh, because those are very real situations. Now, I just want to ask you, Joe, so, talking about uh, Canadians traveling to the U.S., um, in some Canadian airports, the U.S. security checks actually take place on you know, within the Canadian airport. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's right to say, then, that the card would work, uh, so to speak, on Canadian soil, on Canadian airports, for Americans traveling back to the U.S. That's right, is it? The card should work no matter where you are. Right. And that is one of the reasons we put it into six languages. I don't remember them all, but I know it's German, Italian, et cetera, et cetera. And um, just telling the customs people that the person is a Parkinson patient. And I, I think more people know today what Parkinson disease is right, than right. they used to. I think that's a big factor. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what about Canadians traveling to the U.S. with the card, the medications card that Barbara was talking about? How would they get on? I know this is a difficult question and it's a theoretical one, but how do you think they would get on with U.S. security wherever it's based on Canadian soil or U.S. soil? What do you think? I think if the custom official had a brain in his head, if he would look at the drugs being prescribed... That should be sufficient proof for for him to uh, to help all he could with the situation. Does that? This is a question to Barbara now, but it's really to both of you. Does that go back to what you were talking about when you mentioned sensitivity training, Bob? I, I think it does, uh, because, you know, I mean, Joel was really putting it in context at the beginning. I mean, um, security is important, right? I mean, I don't think anybody is going to question that we shouldn't have security. Um, It's really the question of how so-called, and I think Joel's words were, out-of-the-ordinary behavior, (laughs) you know, is interpreted. 
And, and you know, many of those so-called out-of-behavior uh, you know, isn't related to anything that's that's untoward. It's 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 just a misinterpretation of certain actions that are valid. You know, if someone has Parkinson's and they've been on a on a plane for five hours and they weren't able to take their meds on time, you know, they may not be able to move. Yeah. You know that that's not to me an untoward behavior. Or the examples that that Joel was giving about, you know, demanding that someone get out from a wheelchair in order to remove a belt or. Part of that, to me, is just at minimum, you know, uh, bad customer service, and it's kind of mean in a way, you know. But I think it is a sensitivity to people's needs. Right. We're going to go into a break um, any moment now. But Joe, do you have any last comments on what Bob, Barbara was just saying, or your other experiences? No, Barbara is absolutely correct. I think the key word is sensitivity. Yeah. Right. Great. Well, now. Um, it is time to take the break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Avery. My guests are Joel Gerstel and Barbara Snellgrove. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. We will be back to explore this very important topic in more detail. News. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Joel Gerstel and Barbara Snellgrove. Our topic is Cards to Burst Barriers in Parkinson's Disease. So I want to talk about questions of privacy and disclosure of the personal health information of persons with Parkinson's disease and the implications for family caregivers. As you know, family caregivers are 
the focus of this particular show, so I want to bring them into our discussion. Now, Jill, for you first, what exactly does the notification card you have say? Who sees it? When is it seen? And can family caregivers use it on behalf of the traveler with Parkinson's disease? And if so, when? Parkinson's disease is a progressive neurological movement disorder. And persons with it pretty well know their capabilities and limitations. The card, which is not available at terminals, so must be brought to the airport, indicates that the person has a health condition or disability that may affect the screening. Parkinson's disease should be printed in the provided blank space, and the person with Parkinson's should discreetly hand it to the officer immediately before screening begins. It does not exempt the screaming, but every U.S. airport has alternative procedures to provide the screening in private if the traveler feels embarrassed. So I would say the burden is upon the traveler to produce the card, and then the officers hopefully will help. Right. Now, let me just put a supplementary to you. What about family caregivers? When they're traveling with somebody with the disease, um, do they get involved with the card in any way? And if so, how? Well, we're happy to provide the card to caregivers. And I, I, for one, personally feel that the caregiver should be carrying a card similar to the, to the uh, patient because you don't know what might happen with the patient. He could, uh, and the worst thing would be freezing, and the caregiver would be able to explain just what it is and how to treat it. Right. Barbara, to you, um, I'm going to ask you, this is about the role of the family caregiver traveling with someone with Parkinson's disease. So during the traveling, do you see... Um, the family caregiver becoming the eyes, ears, and voice for a person with Parkinson's disease? And if so, when is this type of support most needed? Uh, well, sure. Uh, we do include care partners in being impacted by a diagnosis of Parkinson's right from the beginning. So certainly we advocate that a care partner learn as much as they can and to get involved. As I mentioned earlier, our medication card comes in two parts, and so a care partner can certainly carry that uh, on their wallet as well to show to anybody that their companion who might have Parkinson's. Um, from a care partner perspective, I think sometimes it's a bigger issue between the two individuals about crossing the line from becoming a partner in care to becoming a provider of care, for example. So whether it's specific to traveling or not, um, you know, when does the care partner jump in? I think that's really your question. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, from a philosophical perspective, we support the person's right to manage their own condition. Uh, but in terms of traveling, I believe most people have the option of, of traveling with a companion, which is usually a care partner or a caregiver. Oftentimes it's at a reduced cost. And, and usually from my experience, you know, they, they really do appreciate uh, the companion being involved in helping them, uh, you know, get through the, the, the stresses of traveling. Right. Jill, I, I want you, I'm going to ask you a question where we're thinking generally about Parkinson's disease and not just specifically in connection with travel. Um, when is it important to keep private the information that the person 
has the condition, and when it is when it is it important for the information to be shared, and with whom should it be shared? Many articles and book chapters have been written on this topic. The patient's health and safety is of first consideration. Privacy, comfort, and dignity are close seconds. Many people with PD try to conceal it for as long as possible, especially younger people who are afraid of losing their jobs. PD is a family disease, and sharing the diagnosis should be discussed and made when everyone is comfortable with it, especially when there are young and teenage children involved. As with all of life's traumatic events, time is important in coming to grips with the fact, and a good rule is take some time after the diagnosis is made. APDA's information and referral centers across the country have programs for the newly diagnosed and healthcare professionals who can provide information and support for the person and family. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Barbara, still speaking generally, that is not necessarily in connection with travel, to what extent do health professionals, social workers, and other professionals involved with the care, and I emphasize here professionals, involved with the care and support of persons with Parkinson's disease, rely on family caregivers to provide information about the person with Parkinson's disease? Parkinson's disease, and what, what's the information used for? Mm-hmm. Well, I think in some cases, healthcare professionals rely on caregivers to provide objective information about the disease and its progression. And oftentimes, you know, you hear the story that it was the spouse who first noticed early symptoms of Parkinson because the person themselves didn't realize that uh, the symptom was there. For example, they may say, oh, you know, do you notice that you're not swinging your arm the same way as you used to, for example? Um, you know, we're here in Canada, at least, we are moving toward a patient-centered model of care, and that usually includes the primary caregiver as well as the person that's impacted by the condition. So I don't know how much uh, a healthcare professional, quote, relies you know, on care partners, but certainly we advocate that care partners be involved as part of the care team. Right. Now, just to be clear, when you talk about care partners, you mean the same thing as I do when I talk about family caregivers. Is that yes, right? I do. It's a term we use. In ter- usually a care partner would be the spouse or, you know, the primary care person, a caregiver. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Or the, or the sons or daughters. Sure. Or the parents of children yes. or that kind of thing. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Okay. Joel, now another bigger question, philosophical question. Um, Right across North America and increasingly across the world, we hear a lot about electronic health records and the way these are used for sharing personal health information of identifiable individuals. What's the association's policy about privacy for persons with Parkinson's disease in this electronic world? And do you have concerns? And if so, what are these concerns? Joe? Electronic health records are an example of technology at its best. They curb waste, fraud, and abuse in healthcare delivery, reducing costs by efficiency and effectiveness, and most importantly, help in patient care by providing complete and consistent records in an instantly available format. We in the United States are governed by federal regulations called the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, 
or HIPAA, protecting the privacy and security of those records. APDA strictly adheres to these regulations at the national level and through the institutions that host our information and referral centers across the country. Of course, no amount of regulation can guarantee 100% security, but this is the safest and the benefits, we believe, outweigh the minuscule possible concerns. Okay. Barbara, we've only a short time, and I'll perhaps reintroduce this question in after the break, but... The same question to you. Electronic health records, what's your policy about privacy for persons with Parkinson's disease in the electronic world, and do you have concerns, and if so, what are they? Sure, sure. Uh, well, the Parkinson's Society Canada doesn't have a policy per se, I mean, um, around electronic health records. Uh, I believe there are some provinces that are looking into uh, electronic health records, and I would guess in theory, um, as long as the existing privacy legislations, both nationally and uh, uh, provincially for confidentiality and privacy are implemented, um, then the idea of quick access to information to help a person makes sense. Um, I know from a research perspective there are Parkinson registries that clinicians are, are trying to implement that enable um, a broader database so that everybody is learning more about Parkinson's, and I believe they're also cross-border as well, uh, mainly to help manage Parkinson's symptoms. Okay, um, Barbara, I'm going to interrupt you because the, the uh, tyranny of time is upon us. But yes. I, I will bring you in uh, yes. after the break. Yep. So it's time for the break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Joel Gerstle yes. and Barbara Snellgrove. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're going to go on talking about these key subjects. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. What would you do if you were stuck in the middle of nowhere? What would you do if you faced an emergency or disaster? Find out by listening to The Drive to Survive with host Tim McWelch. The program is all about wilderness survival, emergency preparedness, and self-sufficiency. Tim has been a professional survival instructor for nearly 15 years, and his tips and practices could save your life. Tune in to The Drive to Survive every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg 
at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Joel Gerstel and Barbara Snellgrove. Our topic is Cards to Burst Barriers in Parkinson's Disease. Now, I interrupted um, with the break, Barbara, when she was talking about privacy and electronic health records. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Barbara? Oh, just two points I wanted to say from our information and referral. Similar to what Joel mentioned, we certainly adhere to all of the privacy and confidentiality issues that we have in terms of dealing with our clients' information, for sure. Uh, And also maybe just to share from a Canadian perspective, uh, we do have a unique situation in Canada where our genetic information is not protected under those uh, legislation, and I think I mentioned earlier that the Parkinson Society is part of a coalition for genetic fairness so that we can have um, legislation in place here in Canada. We don't have the GINA legislation, for example, Joel, that you have in the United States. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many other countries, such as the UK and others in Europe, also have it, but here in Canada, we don't have that, and I think maybe not so much uh, in terms of um, this particular topic, but in terms of, you know, uh, direct-to-consumer genetic information that we're finding out, um, we do not have protection for Canadians here. Okay. That may be a topic for another episode. I think so. <laughs> yes. Now, what I want to talk about now about enhance, is your views on enhancing travel arrangements for persons with Parkinson and possibly other conditions that present the same sort of picture and, uh, and problems that Parkinson does. But Barbara, first of all, what changes in travel arrangements generally would you like to see to give more help to travelers with Parkinson disease and similar? Uh, I'd like to go back to our point that, that Joel made. I think it's really education to really sensitize uh, the staff, uh, whether it be border people or screening people, airport people, any travel people, um, so that they really aren't misunderstanding the symptoms of Parkinson's. Uh, it does go to good customer service. So I think regardless of their illness or any disability, um, travelers need to be treated with respect. Right. Joe, I'm going to just ask you to, to respond to what Barbara was just saying. That is to say, do you see the scope for the pioneering work that you, you and um, Barbara's organization have has achieved in moving things ahead so that there are ways that people with health-related problems do have an easier time. Now, how far do you think that movement that you've both been involved in is going to spread so that people with, I'm thinking now of mental health conditions, for example, Mm -hmm. would have an easier time traveling and traveling with their families? Joe? Well... I would just like to say that there's nothing magical about the concept of achieving good international recognition of this program. It's based on sensitivity and respect for another's feelings. Rather basic. I wish there were no need for a card at all. But yes, of course, I would like to see it recognized internationally. It could serve in all English-speaking environments in its present form with only the proper authorities' direction to implement it as was done in the U.S. 
It does not exempt people from being security screened. It simply alerts the officer that there's a physical consideration which, when known, should make the process earlier for both parties. Jolan, I think you're saying it's a matter of respect, isn't it? Respect and uh, a little bit of sympathy, a little bit of understanding. Yeah, yeah. Barbara, would you like to see, and as I'm sure you, I'm kind of leading you into this, I guess, mm-hmm. would you like to see more and better recognition of the role of family caregivers, perhaps even including a notification card for them when they're helping and caring for travelers with Parkinson and also similar diseases? And if you do agree with that, what needs to be done? Oh, absolutely. I think that uh, I would agree. I mean, care partners should should also have something that helps them identify that they're there as a companion. And again, I think it just broadens the uh, the sensitivity, you know, to the issues. Um, perhaps it's a similar card. I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly what it might look like, but but certainly if if Joel is interested in this internationally uh, recognized card, I'm sure it could be. Um, you know, uh, adapted. I mean, rather than rather than saying I have the following health condition, you could say you know my companion has the following health condition or whatever. Right. Seems yeah. to be, I think, pretty. Uh, it, it would be easy, I think, to adapt for sure. You know, on on the front of our card, it says advice to patients going to the emergency room or traveling. Mm-hmm. So it's not just your problem at the airport. You have mm-hmm. a problem if you're going to the emergency room because hopefully the doctor will know a little bit about Parkinson's disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that is another issue, too. You know, Which it's not issue. only the traveling, yeah, but it's what happens when a person is traveling and they have a medical emergency. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's really when the care partner needs to get involved because the person perhaps is sick, right? So they're not going to be able to communicate. And then it is the question of the uh, the caregiver and, and how much do uh, emergency personnel or emergency staff know about conditions such as Parkinson's? Another, another segment, Gord, in the future, I think, is here. Yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> You've got a month-long program one. coming up. We yeah. do. We do. And yeah. part of that in terms of Canada, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, we have moved forward in terms of the Get It On Time campaign, which also ties in our med card, which is the purpose of telling emergency personnel and healthcare professionals in uh, emergency uh, wards, um, you know, the importance of people with Parkinson's to get their meds on time. It's huge. Right. Joel, I'm coming back to you now. You've both been saying that it's important that the sensitivity training and things like that convey to the people on the barrier side of this business, whether it's in hospitals or airports, understand what um, the difficulties are that the person faces. So, So to what extent do the cards, does your card as it exists, Paint the picture of the problems that the person has. The 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 TSA card actually is designed to identify any condition that is not readily apparent, but may cause behavior that might otherwise raise suspicion. People with any movement disorder, which are neurological conditions that affect the speed, fluency quality and ease of movement or speech could benefit from being about to alert the screener. 
I would suggest, however, that either the patient or caregiver traveling with him or her have a physician's verification as backup. These cards are readily available to anyone and should not be considered immunity from official procedure in any manner. This is a beginning. This is the type of card that can provide tremendous help to a traveler or somebody going to an emergency room, but it is not the sole, sole solution to the problem. Barbara's idea of listing medication is very good. That combined with this would make both of them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree, Joel. I was just thinking of a combined one. And, I mean, our card has the beauty as well of uh, really educating people uh, and telling them what some of the symptoms might be. Uh, but then again, we may want to add something like, because I have these symptoms, uh, please be patient or, you know, I need more time to answer you or something so that it really is a call to action to have the person on the other side that's reading the card to really start uh, responding to the person in a more respectful manner. Right. And I, and I think the question regarding electronic medical records uh-huh. is very important because say you have a heart attack or something like that, by immediately transmitting your social security number, they can come up with a, your history very mm-hmm. quickly, mm-hmm. which could help. Mm-hmm. Let me just be a little bit <laughs> provocative, Joe, with that. Are you sure that you want people um, at the airport to be able to read my medical history in that degree of detail? Is that something they should really see? Or would it be better if there was a summary of the kind of things that might be affecting me rather than giving access to my entire medical history? What do you think? Well, I think the patient is in control of his problem, as is his caregiver. And they can best make the judgment when to show this electronic card, which can open up the patient's history. I don't think it should be just turned over to anybody, but it is certainly grounds for, for great assistance. Perfectly fair. Barbara, what do you think about that question of who should and shouldn't see the, the full record? Yeah, well, I, I think I'm, I'm sort of leaning more towards who you would you would want to be careful as to who has access to the information. Uh, your point about whether do you really want airport, uh, you know, mm-hmm. personnel to be privy to that kind of information? Uh, probably not. But then again, you know, would they be educated to even understand, you know, what they are they supposed to do if in fact they were exposed to the information? So um, I don't know that you could just open it up for anybody without having some sort of, um, you know, guidelines involved, confidentiality, what are they going to do with that? I mean, it that, is the person. That's another topic for another show. It You're is, right. Indeed, yes, you've got yes. four topics now that have come from this. <laughs> yeah, now I'm going to turn it around and say I think both of you, if I may be so bold, uh, have some very important work to do. And, um, you know, I, I hope I don't sound too bossy, but I would very much like to hope that you will work together and produce something that relates to Parkinson, but also relates to the broader issue of the very many conditions that affect the way people are mm-hmm. in generally and in stressful situations and in situations where there's always pressure, uh, yes. mm-hmm. whether it's a hospital ER or whether it's an airport and the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Barbara? But, our telephone is up and running now. Yes. <laughs> there we've, you been, go. we've been repaired. 
Okay, great. Now, I do have to bring the show regrettably to a close, but I'm hoping we will have another opportunity to talk together in this way. And so I want very much to say thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with your comments and questions, and I'll be very happy to pass them on to Joel and Barbara. Mm -hmm. And I want to say thank you to them, both of you, for sharing with us your experience, your insights, and your advice, but also your sense of the possibilities and the future. And um, I'm going to say on behalf of everyone, um, all success to you both, because you are representing a new path, and hope is always important in the kinds of conditions, medical conditions, health challenges, and the rest of it that family caregivers and their family members are are experiencing and what you're both are offering is hope in a practical way mm. so good luck to you both thank you for being guests on the show thank, thank you, you Gord for, for hosting thank you're you very so welcome. much take bye care bye. Joel bye bye now in our next episode we're going to talk about estate planning and family caregivers please join us same time same spot on the internet Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.